Money Talk is hosted by Annex Wealth Management, a registered investment advisor. Important information about the qualifications and business practices of Annex to be considered before becoming a client of Annex is available at AnnexWealth.com. Securities are offered through HBEC Incorporated, member FINRA and SIPC. Annex Wealth Management and HBEC are unaffiliated. This program may contain forward-looking statements which may not come true. Please consult with an advisor about your specific situation. Taking the mystery out of investing with answers to your financial questions. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald from Annex Wealth Management. Team Technology Trust. Now, trust is our goal at Annex Wealth Management. That is something that we earn. We've got team members, and we talk to them weekly to showcase the depth of our talent, and you name it, we've got experts in a particular need. We don't talk a lot about technology, so that's what we're going to do here. Joining me is Stephanie Emmons, our Program and Events Manager. Hey, Stephanie, welcome back. Hi, Danny. Thank you. Mark Oswald. Mark, I'm not even going to mess with your your title, because (laughs) you you probably are a chief watchdog in keeping things safe, and we're going to get to that. But, Stephanie, tell me a little bit about the technological touches that you and your team utilize with Annex clients? We start to have the technological touches from the moment a client becomes a client. Everything from how they're completing their paperwork. We very rarely print paper. It's all done via DocuSign. It's authenticated. You have to prove that you are who you are, so there's no opportunity for fraud or security you know, ID theft. And then you can complete your paperwork with a few clicks of a button after you verify things. But this is the way things are going, and we want to make sure clients are comfortable with that from the very moment they start working with Annex Wealth Management, because this is what we're going to do to secure their relationship, secure their identity, make them feel comfortable with working here at Annex. You must have seen quantum leaps over the years. Yeah, I mean, I'm 30 years into doing this, and uh, certainly a lot of things that we're doing now, you look at Annex everywhere. You know, even though we're in five and growing locations, you know, there's people that are listening today that it's not convenient for them, either for their health, their age, or just they don't like to drive on the freeway or whatever the case might be. Annex Everywhere is a really good solution, Stephanie. And talk about that a little bit and what that initiative has been like. You can be anywhere. You can be in another state. You can work third shift and sleep during the day. And it's not convenient to meet with one of our wealth managers during uh, the normal business hours. Annex Everywhere allows for anybody to become a client of Annex Wealth Management and take advantage of those services. And think about the people that are clients of ours that have second homes you know, in Florida, Tennessee, South Carolina, whatever it might be. Those people are having year-round meetings with us because we're using technology to be able to do that. The screen sharing that we're able to do to be able to open up your statements or look at tax returns and estate planning documents and everything that goes into that, those are things that we can do securely. And that's so important is we can't underscore that enough. We do it in a secure environment where we're not creating documents that are lost later and they're personal to you and we can make sure that we're interacting with you about your financial plan and your documents in a secure environment. I love electronic statements. Mm-hmm. I know Absolutely. that's something that is available for our clients. It certainly is, and we can do that at a couple different levels. So once you become a client, you'll have immediate access to your accounts through the custodian, one of our independent custodians that we use to custody our clients' assets. And they have individual logins where a client can log into their site, view their account balances, view their account statements, their confirmations, their tax documents. Sometimes, Stephanie, we we use a little bit of jargon in our business, right? And it's really familiar for the three of us as to what that is. But think about a custodian, and I think for people out there to understand what that role is, in the relationship. The custodian is the company that actually holds your assets, holds your 
mutual funds or your exchange traded funds or your individual stocks or whatever it might be. And that custodian is a third party. That for us has been a real distinction. But the fact of the matter is that Madoff never gets away <laughs> with what he got away with for as long as he got away with it had there been an independent third party custodian. He was the custodian. He was the custodian. Oh, that would be a problem. And, and on yeah. one floor was the investment management team supposedly making investment decisions in these bogus accounts. And on another floor was a printing press. And they printed the statements and they sent them out to the clients and dummied those statements up. Think about that. If you're investing someplace other than a third party custodian, is what's the checks and balances? What balances are in place to make sure that when you're getting a statement from your advisor, that you're also getting a statement from the custodian. You can lay those two documents side by side and do a comparison to make sure that your money is safe. Stephanie, expanding that into the relationship that we have with our clients, the way that we pass documents back and forth between Annex and our clients through the eMoney Vault. The eMoney Vault is a secure portal that only our clients individually and Annex Wealth Management staff have access to. And you think about something, a large document like a tax document or maybe a, a trust or a will that you want Annex to review. You don't want to fax those. You don't necessarily want to email them back and forth. And eMoney, our financial planning software that's interactive, it allows for, for this vault feature. And you can upload a document right into the vault, and it notifies our team that, hey, this document is there for you to take a look at. And our staff can review it and do whatever they need to and plan those next steps. It's all done securely. There's no paper. There's no way for anybody else to see it other than you and Annex staff members. And, and people have gotten really creative in what they're putting in that vault. eMoney Vault will even take an audio file. So if you want to leave a message or your heirs or whatever that case might be, instructions, you can do that in that eMoney Vault. Now here's what's really important to me when I think about the watchdog role, right Danny, is it's encrypted on two levels, and that's important. It's encrypted in transit, in other words, when it's being sent back and forth through the vault, and at rest, so that the, the vault itself is encrypted, both while documents are in transit and while documents are at rest. A couple of other things, Stephanie, while I have you here. Talk a little bit about verbal verification. It's a standard we went to a couple years ago. So anybody who is going to call us and say, or email us and say, hey, I'd like to take a distribution from my account, or I want to make a contribution to my account, or I'd like to make these changes to my account. We require verbal verification, which means we need to talk to you and you're gonna to have to verify to us that you are who you say you are. And the reason that we did that, guys, is because of the fact that most frauds comes from the compromising of an email account. So we don't take that email, and it's not the Nigerian prince anymore. These things are pretty sophisticated, and when they come in, we make sure we call you. So if you're not doing that with your advisor, make sure that you establish verbal verification standards for your account. Team Tech Trust, that is a segment about the technology at Annex Wealth Management. Still to come as we replay some of our uh, best uh, segments from this last year, Social Security, Health Savings Accounts, the Wisconsin Deferred Compensation Program, Timeshares, and Medicare. It's all on the way. Money Talk on WTMJ. Spreading the wealth every Saturday. Here's more Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Joining me, Ron Johnson, a CFP and Senior Financial Planner at Annex Wealth Management. Thank you. Thanks right. for having me. So Ron's a guy with many talents. He's kind of our go-to Social Security guy, and that's what we're going to talk about particularly. 
what are called early claimers. And those are people who start taking Social Security benefits at the earliest possible age, which is 62. And, Ron, you can take it at 62, but it's less if you waited longer. So how does that work? Yeah, that's right. So when you look at your Social Security statement, they tell you how much you can expect to receive. That is your benefit amount at what we call your full retirement age, right? And for most of us, it's going to be age 67. If you take a benefit before that point, it's going to be less. And if you take it as early as age 62, you can expect your benefit to be about 30% less than that figure on your statement. Is that a penalty or an incentive or what is that? What it is really, since you're going to take it sooner and you're going to claim benefits for an extra five, six, seven years, in exchange for that, Social Security is going to reduce your benefit. And from an actuarial point of view, they're looking at is they're trying to hit a mark where everyone's going to take roughly the same amount out of Social Security over their lifetime. Why is it not a good idea to start taking it right at 62? The way we look at Social Security here at Annex is we look at it in the form of a break-even point. And what does that mean? If you take it at age 62, yes, your benefit's less, but you claim benefits for five, six, seven more years than, say, if you took it at age 70, right? But at age 70, your benefits a lot more. The question is, at what point in your lifetime will you have claimed more benefits from the Social Security Trust Fund in aggregate? The way we look at it is if you start at 62 and you, and we compare that to taking it at 70, we usually see that right about your early 80s is when you've hit the break-even point. That's where if you took it at 62 and he died before, say, age 82, you won. But if you wait to age 70 and you hit your early 80s and you continue to live longer than your early 80s, you're going to start taking more from the trust fund than you would have if you took it early at age 62. And, Ron Johnson, you're talking about the way that our clients would approach it. And our clients, more than likely, it's not the only thing that they have. They've got other investments, so it's probably only part of their retirement income. But it is an important part. I know that there's been lots of negative press about the Social Security Trust Fund and so forth. But the way we look at it is, first of all, your benefit is not subject to market volatility. And if you wait, it's going to guarantee to grow. And we think that benefit will be around in the future. And for most people, even people with lots of assets, it is still a good majority of their uh, monthly and annual income. So I've heard it's a really complex calculation trying to figure this out. This is what good financial planners do. Yeah. The actual math behind it is fairly complicated, but the easy way to look at it, if you wait past your full retirement age, it's going to grow at roughly 8% a year up until age 70. And if you take it before your full retirement age, it's going to be reduced a little bit each year up until you'll claim about 70% of your full retirement benefit age 62. I know full retirement age is kind of a government term, but yep. a lot of people maybe listening are like, forget it. I want to I want to be done at 62. Are there times when it makes sense to start taking it at 62? It, it does. You know, first of all, it makes sense to claim it at age 62 if you expect to have a short life expectancy. Uh, another reason why you're going to want to claim it at 62 is because maybe you need that income. You know, maybe you, you did a pretty good job saving, but you don't have enough investment assets to fund your retirement spending goal all the way to 70 so you can wait and defer that Social Security income until age 70. Randy Winkler's been in here and he gave us a scenario one time where it was two different clients. One 
started at 62, started to take the benefit. The other, they said, wait till 70. And I guess it all depends on your, your assets, what you've got, when you can take it. And that, again, gets into the whole financial planning thing. We can start getting into the weeds a little bit because here at Annex, if you've got some assets where you have a choice between 62 and 70, we also look at it from a tax perspective. You know, what makes more sense? And that's a very individual decision. And that's where we roll up our sleeves. We understand your tax liability today. We project it out in the future. And then we look to see how Social Security is going to impact that and what's the most efficient way for you. And you work very closely with our tax team. You're part of that tax team, right? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So there's a team of us. uh, Mandy is one of them, myself and some others that really put the whole picture together. Because when you talk about financial planning, it's not just Social Security and vacuum. We want to put all the variables together and figure out what's the most efficient way for you to build a retirement plan for you. And you can get that going, AnnexWealth.com. Click that green Get Started button. You can start 2019 in style and uh, definitely knowing where you're headed. It's 1023 at WTMJ. This is Money Talk. Watch your investments grow with Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Joining us, Randy Winkler, CFP and Manager Financial Planning Department at Annex Wealth Management. Also, Matt Morsey, CFP and Associate Wealth Manager. Hey, guys. How's it going? Good. Here we go. The Forbes headline said, stop making 401k contributions. Fill up your HSA first. First, let's define an HSA. HSA stands for Health Savings Account. It's a way that you can save money to help pay for health expenses. You have to have certain types of health insurance in order to qualify for, such as a high deductible health plan. So there's certain things that you would have to talk to your employer about or see what options you have at work first. But it's a way to save money in tax beneficial ways to pay for expenses later. These you can carry with you. You don't pay taxes on the money that goes in. You don't pay taxes on the growth. And you also don't pay taxes when it comes out as long as it's for a qualified medical expense. What are the limits for an HSA? And then what is it for 401k or IRA. So the family maximum for an HSA is $6,900. So that's more than for an IRA. The uh, individual maximum for an HSA is $3,450. So now for a 401k, the maximum that you can put away is $18,500. And with the uh, catch-up, if you're over 50 years old, it's $24,500. Wouldn't that make it better because you can put in more? No. Well, it depends. (laughs) (laughs) The 401k is tax-deferred but you do pay the taxes later on. They've got a lot of really nice benefits, but they're not as flexible from a tax standpoint as an HSA is. Can you direct where it's going to sit and grow? It depends. Some HSA providers, it's very straightforward. It's really just like a a bank savings account, and you're just going to get interest. Um, However, other ones do allow you to have an option to invest a portion of that. Generally, you still have to keep a certain amount in cash. Above that, generally, it's $1,000 or $2,000 that might have to be in cash. On top of that, you can invest it in pre-selected investments that they have, very similar to a 401k where you're given by your employer pre-selected investments that you can invest that into. I have a real-world example from my life. My wife has an HSA that is contributed to by her employer, and that has to be in a savings-type account. But we were able to open up an investment-type HSA account and then transfer the money over in there so it could be invested. So the deposits go into the savings type HSA, we do a transfer and then we invest it in the investment type HSA. This is kind of for me, but hopefully if it's for everybody. How do you find an HSA? How do you, sh- can you shop these things? You have the option to, but it starts with your employer first. So through your healthcare provider, through them, they're going to give you, if you qualify for the, the HSA account, here is what we use. This is where you would have it. 
it is transportable. So if you leave that employer, go somewhere else, or you retire, you are able to move that money into a different HSA, just like you would move a 401k into an IRA or from one IRA to another IRA. You're able to move it from one to another. And if they have the investment options there, then you can do that. Randy Winkler is here. He's a CFP. So is Matt Morsey. He's also a CFP. So the original headline that caught me said stop making 401k contributions fill up your hsa first so how do we work with them as far as somebody's investment portfolio what, what do we tend to recommend with people well what was interesting about that article and he did make some interesting points but both matt and i disagreed with it okay uh is that he, he was saying that in a 401k you may not you might not live to retirement so you never get to take advantage of it in hsa you're going to have medical expenses so you'll definitely make use of it plus with the triple tax benefits that you have that's better than a 401k but the real clincher in the matter is a lot of times in a 401k, you have a company match, and that's free money. And you're not getting free money with the HSA. As nice as it is, you're probably not getting, you may be, but you're probably not getting a company match with that. Correct. Yeah. Some employers do give a match or they give you a certain amount, just a fixed amount into that HSA. It's their way of incentivizing you to take that plan over the other one. That's more of a traditional healthcare plan because it's going to be cheaper for your employer. So they give that to you. So that's one way that you can get that extra cash for employer, but that's less common than getting a match from your employer in the 401k. If you're getting free money on money that you're putting in your 401k, that's tough to pass out. We have an advisor here that uses the term voluntary pay cut if you determine that you don't want to be participating in your company's 401k plan and there's a match. Matt, if I could ask, how do you work it? So there's definitely a lot of flexibility when you have these. And you kind of want to look at, especially if you're married, what both employers are doing, not only when you just sign up for your health insurance and what is the better insurance plan, what are the costs going to be out of pocket for me from both employers, but also what are the benefits that you get for 401k matches or HSA matches. For instance, my wife works for a company. She gets a match up to a certain dollar amount of 401k. Plus, if she does an HSA, she gets some money there. So it's easy to go, okay, well, if we get this match, let's use that in the 401k. But let's also make sure we're doing the HSA as well, too, so that we get the match there and we can maximize both both of those pockets. Randy Winkler, CFP, Manager Financial Planning here at Annex Wealth Management, and Matt Morsey, CFP, Associate Wealth Management. Guys, thank you. Always good. Matt, come back soon, okay? Sounds great. Uh, still to come, Wisconsin Deferred Compensation. We're going to talk about timeshares and then Medicare. It's money talk. Never get less than your money's worth. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. At Annex Wealth Management, we like to talk about all aspects of financial planning. Government employees, kind of a different animal. And Jason Ganier is here. He's a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. Hey, Jason. How are you doing? Doing well. So we got regular people, civilians, I guess, right? Correct. Then government employees. What does government employees cover? Well, government employees covers quite a bit. So you have what they call municipal employees, which if you work for a township, let's say you're a cop, or you work for a village or a city or a school district. So that's actually a separate government entity. If you work for a school district, you're a teacher. And then obviously there's county employees and state employees. So it's really a wide range of different entities and personnel and occupations within government. We should point out that you also do that. Um, you are a law enforcement guy. Yeah, I have 25 years in law enforcement. And you know one of my specialties here at Annex is working with other government employees, whether they be protective services, firefighters, police, but also teachers, DPW, any other government employee, even federal government employees. You know, it's a whole different system. But besides state and local, you have 
our folks in the federal system. Most of the time you hear government jobs and people say, hey, nice, you got a government job. I mean, it is good, right? For, for the most part, benefits are good. Yeah, benefits are good. They've changed over the years. Um, the biggest change we see is in health insurance. I, I would say that most government employees probably pay close to what some of their private sector counterparts pay in the realm of health insurance. The big difference really is those government pensions, which still most people have. And in the private sector, we've seen decreases in that over the years. Got it. Let's talk about Wisconsin Deferred Compensation. That's an official program. What is that? It's an employer-sponsored retirement plan. So it's a 457 plan, and that's a fancy way for the IRS to qualify what type of plan it is. There. So what is that equivalent to? For It'd be us? like a 401k okay. in the private sector, or if you work for a school district, a hospital, a, a nonprofit, typically you have a 403b. But they're all employer-sponsored retirement plans where you can save additional monies from your paycheck towards your retirement goals. And it sounds like the choices are getting better. Was that the case in the old days? Yeah, I would say so. I think now that pensions have been reduced and there's more awareness that people need to save, even if you have a pension, you need to save typically um, some of your income so you can maintain your lifestyle and also have things to be able to afford for health care in retirement. And everybody calls it Wisconsin Deferred Compensation. That's the official name? That's the official name. So that's a that's one employer plan. And most municipal employees will have access to that plan. Not all of them, but most municipal employers have that plan available because the Wisconsin Employee Trust Funds set up this plan so government employers can go out and um, participate right away. They don't have to, you know, interview different plan sponsors. One of the things that was in the news recently is this Schwab PCRA. What is that? PCRA is their brand name, Charles Schwab, for their personal choice retirement account. It's what they call a self-directed brokerage account. So when you sit down with your 401k, or in this case, Wisconsin Deferred Comp, you have different investment choices to make. And it's usually a pretty small list. And the reason it's a small list is, A, the employer, we know that human beings, if they have too many choices, they'll do nothing. (laughs) So they make it a small list for that reason. Um, But down at the bottom of the list, it says, you know, Charles Schwab, PCRA, or self-directed brokerage. That's a way to invest money outside the plan. So it's still in the plan per se. It's still at Wisconsin Deferred Comp. It's still part of that 457. Still has the same rules. But instead of being limited to the investment um, mutual funds they offer, you can go out and pick any mutual fund. Jason Gineer is a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. Many, many years as a law enforcement officer. Kind of knows his way around this stuff. We're talking about financial planning for government employees, Wisconsin Deferred Comp Plan, and then this PCRA. Is that something that do you need to be a slightly more sophisticated investor for that? Yeah, I definitely think there's cautions you should take. First off, if you're going to invest outside of your plan, you want to make sure that you have a diversified portfolio. You don't want to be overweight you know, too much in one sector or one asset class because obviously if that one goes down in value, people tend to panic and then they sell off and they try to start timing the market. And that can be a danger with using that self-directed brokerage account if you're not a professional. Right, kind of the do-it-yourselfer thing. But if you've got that option, uh, this is something that Annex does, and a guy like you, with all of your experience, would definitely be able to be a good guide. Yes, you know, we work with quite a few people that are in Wisconsin Deferred Comp and use that Charles Schwab self-directed brokerage option. So the way we engage those clients or those government employees, even if they're still currently working, they don't have to be retired, is our investment policy committee and our investment team here designs portfolios specific for Wisconsin Deferred Comp participants. And then Once they're a client here, they can engage with us, get the full line of financial planning, estate planning, tax planning, all the things that Annex offers with our team. And this is something that you've worked on for years and years, and so you kind of know it. Yeah, I've been, you know, I've been in Annex over five years, and I've been participating in the Wisconsin Deferred Comp, I think, right after I got hired. You've seen the playbook. Yes. You know how that works. 
So if somebody's listening, they're a government employee, and uh, they would like to reach out to Annex, and you in particular, how do we do that? Just go through the website, either send us an email, reach out to us, talk to one of the personnel at the front desk, and they'll um, send you right over my way or another advisor if that's a better fit for you. Just don't get pulled over. Just don't get pulled over. AnnexWealth.com is the website to start. That's the kind of stuff that they do there. Uh, Five locations, including Annex Everywhere. If you can hear this radio station, uh, we can deal with you. Again, AnnexWealth.com. This is Money Talk for Saturday, December 29th. Watch your investments grow with Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Looking forward to this. It's a conversation about timeshares. Patrick Noble is joining me, financial planning specialist, Annex Wealth Management. Patrick, welcome to the show. Thanks, Danny. How are you today? Good, thanks. We had a recent discussion about annuities on the show, and like annuities, timeshares can sometimes have a bad reputation. However, there's many applications where it's just right. Why do timeshares have this reputation? You're absolutely right. In fact, what often happens is people will be approached for a timeshare presentation with offers of trips or goals ingots or limousine rides. I think the timeshare connotation between annuities and timeshares comes from the sales tactics. So is a timeshare an investment? Timeshare is not investment. Don't think of a timeshare as an investment. It's more of a purchase and a vacation lifestyle, right? Think of a timeshare as a car. As soon as you drive off the lot, it's going to depreciate. There's two types of timeshares. There's deeded and non-deeded. Most are deeded. What does that mean? When timeshares first started back in the 70s, there was an overabundance of condominiums in Florida. Literally, in 1974, Brain Trust got together and said, how do we get rid of these condos where we're going to form deeded partnerships where we're going to have people buy in and they're locked in from anywhere to 75 years to the rest of their life. The other form of timeshares are called non-deeded timeshares, also known as interval timeshares, where you don't outright own the resort, you own a portion of the resort. Deeded timeshares is when you own the unit, you pay maintenance fees, you vote for board of directors, and you're going to pay for all those things. When somebody gets a timeshare, they pay X, they're going to pay the annual fees. What do they get for that? It can be anywhere from four weeks a year. It could be down to two weeks a year. Oftentimes, there'll be incentives in the first five years. Let's say we'll give you four weeks where you can go to X, Y, and Z, and normally that'll go down to maybe one week or two weeks. Are those dates always locked? They're not. All right. You have some flexibility. There are certain types, which we call fixed weeks, which are locked. But as timeshares are coming of age, what we're finding is that there's more flexibility built into them where you have flexibility to go week in August. You can go in June. You can go in July. But you've got to do some planning. You mentioned annual fees. So can you talk a little bit about what that pays for? Yeah. So maintenance fees, just like your home, right? You invest in your lawn, you invest in paint, keeping the upkeep of the house. Same is true with a timeshare. So there's going to be a company that maintains the property. Uh, They'll maintain the units. If it's attached to a beach, God forbid there's a storm and let's say that beach is wiped out, that maintenance fee is going to rebuild that beach. Can you sell timeshares? You can sell timeshares. Is it tough to sell timeshares? It absolutely is difficult to sell timeshares. Okay, so if it's difficult to sell timeshares, it must be great to buy them, right? The resale market for timeshares is absolutely bloated. 
there's much more supply than demand. In fact, if you go out there right now and look on various websites that foster resale of timeshares, you could buy one for pennies on the dollar. We are talking timeshares. Patrick Noble, financial planning specialist, Annex Wealth Management is here. Now, you had a client case that you wanted to share, and I think this is really interesting. We work with a client who approached us, and this is not something we normally do here at Annex, but we want to, of course, help our clients in every financial aspect that we can. This particular client bought a timeshare with her husband about 10 years ago in Hawaii. Unfortunately, within 18 months of that purchase, her husband passed away. So we've got a timeshare, we've got no husband, we've got a spouse who has, since that purchase, never stepped foot on the property. Ouch. Now, she had that initial upfront purchase price of about $20,000, refinanced it to pay off that balance, but still was on the hook for the annual maintenance fees, which began approximately two to $3,000 a year. In the last five years, they were about $6,000 a year. So imagine this, Danny, 10 years, you're cutting a check every December of $6,000 and you're having not stepped foot on that property mm. at all. So I did some research and while we talked about selling timeshares, there's another great way to get out of timeshares as well. And this is a perfect circumstance for her because she has an extenuating circumstance where her spouse passed. We approached the timeshare resort owner with the request that we would like to redeed the property back to them. Simply redeed it, walk away, and no longer pay that $6,000 check that she was cutting every December. A little bit of battle to do that because the first two responses we got were letting us know that there's a robust resale market and that's the direction we should go. After a few more phone calls, we eventually got to the right person and explained the circumstances, the fact that the client hadn't stepped foot on this property in the last 10 years, been diligently paying her annual maintenance fees, they agreed to repurchase the property so she'll no longer have to pay that maintenance fee. And she's happy with just being able to walk away from the property. Patrick Noble, financial planning specialist, Annex Wealth Management. And in complete disclosure, you have a timeshare. Take us through the process how you got there. So we were in Mexico a couple of years ago with another couple who owned the timeshare. Uh, we ended up sitting through a presentation based on the value for what we were getting with our two little boys, my wife, my Myself versus the cost of a hotel for something comparable over, let's say, a five, 10 year period. For us, it made sense. We knew we were going to be going on vacation every year. We knew what we were going to be expecting. We wanted a lifestyle purchase. We've got a lot of flexibility within those eight properties. And if we want to go hella skiing in the Swiss Alps, we can. Send us pictures. We'll do. All right. Timeshares, uh, that's just one of the things that uh, we work with our clients about, and we can work with you in 2019. You can start at AnnexWealth.com. It's a replay of some of the more popular segments of 2018. Up next, Medicare. It's Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management, WTMJ. W277-CV and WTMJ Milwaukee. From the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is News Radio WTMJ. Never get less than your money's worth. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Uh, thanks, Dave and Mark, for the for the prior segments. Uh, Dan, uh, there was a lot of excitement this week. Um, Alibaba came public on Friday. Uh, why don't you just give our listeners a brief rundown on on what their business is about and and just general information concerning the the most the largest IPO offering in history. Sure, Derek. So Alibaba is a Chinese e-commerce company, sort of a mix of Amazon, eBay, all put together. There's numerous different uh, websites. 
Um, you know, so yeah, biggest IPO in really market history, uh, whether it's the U.S. markets, European markets, et cetera. So they raised approximately $25 billion uh, with the IPO that hit Friday. Uh, total market capitalization of the company with the price that it was trading at Friday, about $220 billion. So quite a large company. The market's been looking forward to this and anticipating it for quite a while. Uh, surprisingly, even though it's the Chinese company, they actually chose to come over to the United States and list their shares on the New York Stock Exchange. So that was sort of interesting. Uh, but yeah, a lot of anticipation, a lot of hype going into this um, IPO. And the numbers around the allocations for the shares were very interesting. So with an IPO, you have to you know, approach a broker and you know, tell them that you're interested in shares. And what was really interesting is looking at the numbers of how those shares got allocated. And really the vast majority of those shares were allocated to very large institutional money managers like hedge funds and mutual funds. So about half the shares went to just 25 accounts. And the retail investors, for the most part, were really shut out of this allocation, only receiving about 4.5% of the shares on the IPO. But I mean, the, the enthusiasm about this deal, I mean, you know, you've been in the business a long time, is when you see this sort of enthusiasm for a new publicly traded company, does that kind of concern you about you know, where the market is or, or whether speculation is too high? I mean, how do you, how do you view the current market dynamic with regard to sentiment and so sure. on? Sure, as we talked about earlier, new all-time highs for equities, you know, right here this week. Um, sentiment is really kind of mixed. Um, you know, a lot of investors still feel burned by, you know, 2008, 2009 experience, and even, you know, 2000. So, you know, we had two, you know, 50% downdrafts in the case, in the, in the course of a decade, and a lot of investors are still reluctant to get in. So sentiment is, is really kind of mixed. You think sentiment would be higher, uh, given where we are in the market, given the fact that we're five years into the care, your doctors, of, right. yep, you're out of pay, outpatient care. When you have part B, you're going to pay a monthly premium for that, and then part B is going to cover generally about eighty percent of your cost. There. Now that's really important because. A lot of things people don't know is that, uh, well, our FICA pa taxes paid if we worked those 40 quarters for the Part A, it does not include uh, dental, eye exams, dentures, hearing aids. There's a lot of gaps as we age that are not covered. Right. So that's when we start talking about supplements. You right. want to purchase a supplement to cover what Part A and B doesn't cover. So you have two roads you can follow here. You can do what's called a Medicare Advantage plan. Or you can go with original Medicare, commonly referred to as Medigap. There's big differences between the two. But generally, to, to do a quick summary, Dan, Danny, Medicare Advantage is very similar to what we all know as an HMO or a PPO. So you can operate in a network. The premiums are going to be lower, but your out-of-pocket expenses are going to be higher. Like a high-deductible plan. Think yeah. of it like that. And when you compare it to Medigap. Medigap is, is really different, meaning that you don't have to operate within a network. Healthcare is not managed. But you're going to have much larger premiums, but hardly any out-of-pocket costs. So there's a big difference between the two, and it, it really depends on the individual on what course is better. So it does, and their past health history as well. Yes. So remember when you sign up and you're eligible for Medicare initially, there is no pre-existing condition clause. So as long as you sign up on time, and there are major penalties if you don't, not the least of which is they can opt not to insure you, or it can cost more, Right. But there are set costs for A and B as long as you sign up on time. And then if you had a pre-existing condition, it doesn't matter. But That's don't right. be late. Don't, don't miss it. 
Right. Now, the one thing we didn't talk about is that hot topic, prescription drug coverage. That is Part D. So Part D covers prescription drug coverage. And and what that does is it's going to pay a portion of your bill each month, okay? And it's broken down into several phases. Part of that is the infamous donut hole where you're going to have to pay all your out-of-pocket expenses in in a certain benefit period. Uh, So let's not forget about Part D, and that's incredibly important to have. The key takeaway here is uh, right before you turn 65, you need to sign up for that Part A and B. There's really no decisioning at that point, right? After you get that Medicare card in the mail when you turn 65, you're going to want to then decide, do I want the Advantage-type plan, which is the higher deductible, or the Cadillac-style plan? This is where a, a health insurance advisor can really assist you. And here at Annex, we sit down with our clients, we walk them through the milestones, we make sure they don't miss any of the deadlines, and we put experts in front of them. You guys were just in front of a bunch of people. What would you say the level of understanding is? You know, this is a very, very complex topic. And it's a little scary because it's something that you have to rethink every year. So having a firm on your side, I could just see the relief of them going, oh, you're going to walk me through this, right? Because that is really important. Yeah, I I would tell you, Danny, that, you know, in your working years, you gave Medicare very little thought, right? Because you had it provided by your employer. So you didn't do any research. The the level of understanding, I would say, is is fairly low. uh, And that's okay. That's why we're stepping in. And there are other complications, Danny, like, what do I do if I have a health savings account in HSA? Do I apply if I'm still working? What if I'm not, but my spouse is and I'm on their coverage? So there are a lot of nuances to this. Bottom line, we help clients with this. We do. We do. And AnnexWealth.com is the website you want to check out, AnnexWealth.com. This. Bottom line, we help clients with this. We do. We do. AnnexWealth.com is the website you want to check out, AnnexWealth.com. Happy New Year, everybody. This is Money Talk on WTMJ. Advice and opinions expressed during Money Talk are solely that of the hosts or guests of Annex Wealth Management and not WTMJ Radio or Good Karma Brands Milwaukee, LLC.